Hello, everyone, and welcome to React Roundup. I'm Justin Bennett. I'm standing in for Chuck this week. And our guest this week is Nat Allison. And on the panel today, we have Lucas Rice. Hello, everybody. Hey, folks, I just want to let you know quickly about Netlify. Netlify is a really cool system for hosting what are traditionally known as static sites. However, the real benefit that I've been finding is that I don't have to mess with a back end. I can just set things up. I build the website out. I've been using a system called 11DJS and you just deploy it. And then anything that you have that you want to do, you can do on the front end. So if you want to pull in some kind of database with Firebase or something else, if you want to collect form data, Netlify provides all kinds of services that make it easy to do all that stuff. If you're trying to do serverless, they have a really, really neat serverless setup that will allow you to deploy your websites without having to deploy a backend and it'll do some of the work for you. I just, I just love it. So if you're looking for a way that you can actually deploy a website that only has front-end technology in it, gives you all the tools that you typically need for the back-end without having to actually program the back-end, then give them a try. Go check them out at Netlify.com. So we're excited today to talk about a few things. But first, Nat, do you want to just kind of introduce yourself and tell us kind of a, a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, so um, I'm Nat. I am just a person who sometimes does React stuff, I guess. Um, graduated in like 2014, went into the industry after that. Worked in a terrible company that I will not name, uh, doing backend stuff. And it was totally not my thing. So I eventually got laid off for it. I spent a year uh, trying to do like creative stuff and then went back into another company that was not as bad, but still kind of not my thing, but at least I got a new front end. So I learned a little bit of React and then uh, I quit that company and spent six months doing a project that we will be talking about. And more recently, I helped the React team kind of translate some of their, well, all of their documentation into a bunch of different languages. So yeah, and now I am a freelancer looking for more contract work. Awesome, awesome. So, in your in your guest notes, you had a uh, mention of a story that you had gotten uh, suspended from GitHub for making too many automated REST calls. You know, tell us that story. Yeah, so we were doing uh, translations, and our method was to essentially have a bunch of different like GitHub forks of the um, main repo for the React documentation. And we start off with like three languages, kind of like a pilot. So we kind of did that all by hand, but I thought, hey, like we're expanding this to a bunch of different languages and like people have been really excited and a lot of people have said they wanted to start their own like branch. So maybe there's like a way to automate this, to, like start this up. So I created like a script that just like pulls a GitHub APA a bunch of times. So like says the repo, says like the team, GitHub team, invite everyone as like a maintainer, and um, on the first day, we started like 10 different languages. We had like, we already had like Japanese and um, Japanese and Spanish. Yeah. And then we started like Brazilian Portuguese, Indonesian, traditional Chinese, bunch of like languages. And then everything got started up really well. Like people were really like, okay, everyone let's get everything translated. Um, like I said, like an issue, like the standardized issue to track the progress for everyone. And everything went really well for the first day. And then I went to bed, like, all right, this is good. And then I woke up the next day and everything was broken. And 
um, I looked at the different, I could still access my GitHub, but it says like my account was suspended and everyone started talking about how like I, my account was deleted or that like I got hacked or like they can't see me anymore on GitHub. And we realized that I got suspended because I was probably making too many API calls and I triggered their like automatic spam detection. And so the good thing is like I was working for Dan Abramoff, who is um, apparently React Profit, but we both three distinctly um, like single boosted to like other people who are really involved in React. Like we uh, called the CEO of Twitter shouted out the CEO of GitHub, whose name is also that, apparently. And we, they got it fixed in like 10 minutes, which is like... That's amazing. Pretty amazing. And everything went back to normal. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes when you know the right people on Twitter, things can get resolved pretty quickly. Yep. That, that's, <laughs> it is a true story. Yeah. Knowing people on Twitter. So, Awesome. Tell us a little bit more about the kind of journey of translating React. That seems like, it seems like a hard thing to do, like just, well, one, I'm interested in like how you uh, went about like automating that, some more of the details of that, but like, mm-hmm. how do you ensure like, like quality of translations or coverage of translations mm-hmm. or? Yeah. Can I, can I, can I make a comment before that? So I am from Brazil, right? And yeah. this type of work of translating thing is really really important like for a bunch of of people in the world like in brazil not everyone has like the access to have to understand uh the english language uh really well it's like we we have like all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds and not only you need to to understand english you need to understand like a technical english really well to, to understand this documentation. So first of all, thank you very much because it's so good and it does so, uh, it does, does so much in the whole world to have these translations. Like, so first of all, thank you very much. You know, um, the Portuguese Brazilian, uh, the Brazilian Portuguese translation is almost done. And <laughs> yeah. More contributors, if you need something to, some time on that's amazing that's amazing yeah of course Mm -hmm. i'll definitely going to look at that but as to your question about how i um how we go about this um yeah so originally um brian bond was kind of working on this process and we were using a like software as a service platform called crowdin to uh, do the translation. So it would be like a more, I guess, traditional internationalization effort where like we add some code, a lot of code um, in order to like be able to toggle between the different languages. But I think after a while, Brian couldn't really figure out like the best way to integrate it. Cause like what you end up having to do is like take all your content and like upload it onto the service and then like download all the translations in one go, like when you're uh, building the website and that ended up being like really tedious and you ended up having a lot of like outdated content. Yeah, it's a very tedious process to like think it together. And furthermore, there were a lot of, it was like kind of a confusing service for people to get used to, especially like developers. So um, the Japanese translation was pretty doing 
okay on crowding because they had like a good moderator, but the Indonesian translation did not and ended up like translating the word function in code to like punkri, um, which is like, which would be really cool if Japanese had like an Indonesian version or if, um, if JavaScript had an Indonesian version, but that wasn't the case. And like the person clearly just like used Google Translate and like didn't verify in their uh, work. So that was no bueno. And so there were integration issues. There were um, quality issues. And Dan Abramoff, who hired me, asked me to look at different alternatives. So I did what every good JavaScript developer does and looked at Vue.js. The um, uh, another like popular MVC, I guess you could call it um, another framework for building web apps. And I looked at how they did their translations, and it was interesting because they basically just had a bunch of different forks of the main repo with all the code translated, um, all the content translated. And then realized that the Japanese translation in particular used a bot in order to keep the original English and the Japanese version stayed together. Um, it was called Chesumi. And so we reached out to the Japanese translation team for Vue and actually got one of their, um, and asked them more about the bot and how it worked. And it basically watched the main master repo. And um, it watched the repo. And then whenever it notices a new commit, it cherry picks it onto the translation branch. Uh, it creates a pull request if there are no conflicts, or it creates an issue if there were conflicts saying, hey, there are updates, you need to manually merge this in. And we thought that was really cool. It solved one of the big issues that Dan ran into, which was like keeping the translations up to date. So we decided to kind of like adapt their, um, adapt their process. And so I created an, an issue on GitHub saying, hey, we're looking for like maintainers for like a test program for like the top three languages. What do you think of this approach? And like, would you be interested in maintaining a language? So we got three different languages um, as part of our pilot program, uh, Spanish, Japanese, and simplified Chinese. And so that went pretty smoothly for around a week. Um, the interesting thing was that like with simplified Chinese, they already kind of had their own documentation and the thing, like their own copy of the site that's like uh, correctly formatted and in Chinese and like that's why. And the interesting that thing that we would learn is that a lot of languages actually had their own like versions already, like hosted on different services, like in wikis or in like, like Chinese like forks of the main repo. And the thing we realized, like the important thing about doing uh, like official translations is that like it's very hard to find them if you don't know where they are already. Like if you, um, it's very, it's a lot easier like if you get a link to the React app in English to see, oh, there's a languages tab or drop down and you could switch to the language that you're more familiar with. And so there was a bit of um, making sure that like telling them that, hey, we're not trying to get rid of your work. We're just making sure that, like, we'll let you be in charge of this, but this time you'll have, like, official sponsorship from the React team so to get them on board. And we started about a week, and we sort of, like, have to standardize the process, kind of creating, like, a set timeline or, 
like a list of ordered list of things to do um, in order like, hey, you should probably want to start like the in the tutorial or the homepage before you want to translate like the different blog posts from like two years ago. And we decided like, oh, you should probably create a glossary of common terms or create a style guide so that like you're consistent among your different translations. Like should you translate code inside code box or um, text inside code box? And we spent a week with just those screens kind of standardizing it. And meanwhile, I was like kind of trying to set up the bot to be able to cherry pick those um, and synchronize those commits from the um, original branch. And I spent about, so that was about a week. And then I was like, okay, this is going pretty well. Maybe we could like start in a couple of days or so. And Dan was like, hey, can we just like open this up for more commits like right now? And I was like, oh, sure. And so I ended up creating like a script to automate the start process, which took about a day. And then like I opened it up to more people. And that was when the GitHub getting banned from GitHub fiasco happened. But it was also like really good because um, people were so excited about the project and being able to contribute that I ended up having to automate a lot of it and running into API call issues. <laughs> so it's like a good problem to have to deal with and it got resolved pretty quickly. And now I am permanently unable to be banned from GitHub. At least. I think. <laughs> <laughs> with big power comes big responsibility. So yep. use it wisely. <laughs> That's awesome. After that, things went pretty smoothly and like fast forward another week and like Spanish and Japanese and um, Brazilian Portuguese are like all ready to be released. So I just came up with like, oh, these are the final things that you need to do to finish. And like mm -hmm. we had a big celebration That's so online cool. and I wrote a blog post about it. Um, Amazing. And we made like an official languages page so you can switch to all the different languages. Yeah, I just opened here the the track track uh, translation for Brazilian Portuguese, and like all the pages are already claimed, and people are working on them. It's almost there, right? Yeah, yeah. There are blog posts if you want to handle that. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I'm gonna have a look at that. This is really cool. So I I worked a little bit with with translations. Uh, I work at Zocdoc, right? And we have like a Espanol page, a page in Spanish. Yeah. And it can get like pretty pretty complicated. Yeah. So two problems that that I believe are are really interesting to solve, and I, I would like to know what are thinking about. First of all. It's a somewhat simpler problem, which is like, what about when the getting started page changes, for instance? Like, how how are you going to deal with that process with a page that was already translated the changes, mm -hmm. the text? And yeah. the second problem is not all languages are like horizontal and from left to right. How will you deal to 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 things that are that almost need like a change in the UI of the page? Yeah. Okay. So the first question, which mm -hmm. is like, how do you keep the languages synced? Um, if a page is already translated, what happens? Mm -hmm. And like I said, uh, we based our approach off of the Japanese translations of Vue.js that watched the original and uh, made pull requests for the translation. And we started with this and we realized that it wasn't good for our purposes because when you have like a lot of commits at once, 
like for example, when hooks were released, we started off using their bot and their bot creates a new pull request or issue for every commit. So I tried using that and ended up creating like 20 new issues and like 15 pull requests. (laughs) And I was like, I'm sorry, everyone. Uh, Let me try again. And it ends up, I had to like merge it in manually. And I realized that, um, you know, merging is a lot easier. Git is actually like, you know, when there's a conflict, Git like gives you like nice markers that tell you where the conflict is. And I realized that you can actually just use that. You can just use that for um, your system. So our new process was like check the original repo like once every two days. And if you see a conflict and then like pull from the original repo onto the onto the branch, onto the fork. And then if there are conflicts between them, just commit those conflicts and like merge conflict markers and all, and then create a pull request and list files that are in conflict in the actual issue. And then, so it's pretty easy to find the markers and then it'll show like the translated text versus the new untranslated text. And so like in Portuguese, it'll have like the original Portuguese or it'll have the translated Portuguese text and it'll have the changed text. And so you can verify whether the translation still makes sense or if you need to make a change to your translation. Like, oh, they added, they changed the link over here, so I should change it in my original. Or, oh, I guess they probably just changed like the grammar error in the English text. So there's no actionable change that I can do here. So I'll keep it as is. That's great. Yeah. And of course, there are still like improvements that I can make to it. But for now, it's like a, it's been pretty useful. It's been a pretty good method. So, if there's anybody who's listening who wants to like join the effort and help out, where would you recommend they start? You can go to the official React docs, ReactJS.org, and there should be a languages tab there that you can choose to switch to different languages. And there should be like um, a contribute link in each of those languages where you can see the repo where the process is being undertaken. Alternately, you can go to isreacttranslatedyet.com, no punctuation, and click on the different cards to see what to, again, like go to the repo. Awesome. That's that's really cool. Um, You know, I'm incredibly happy for this effort just for the React community as a whole. And, and, you know, I appreciate your help and the React teams uh, and all the translators help. Because going back to what Lucas was saying earlier, this is this is incredibly important because, you know, it's one of the um, it's one of the privileges of, you know, speaking English that I think sometimes it's easy to forget about, especially if that's the only language you speak or your primary language that you know, there's a big world and there's a lot of people who have to struggle to just like understand like basic or to read basic documentation. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, right to left languages, right? That's it. Yeah, that's it. So the advantage of um, like making an entire fork of the repository rather than like relying on then using internationalization software is that like the different forks can actually change the entire code base to um, make it right to left. And that is like valid and easy to do. You just change all the like margin left to margin right. And the good thing about like having this centralized effort 
on the React team is you're able to get the different right to left languages together and make sure they're doing it all um, in a similar way and they can help each other out. So I think like Persian or Arabic was the first one that we had that was right to left and they, I think it was Persian and they like one of the contributors like managed to do the right to left translation of the like formatting change for the entire site and they did the same change in like Arabic and Hebrew and now Urdu is starting up. So they're able to do that. I think it would be nice if there was like code in the main repo to um, help with that. But for now, it's something that like they can get unboxed on their own and uh, start working instead of like waiting on the core React team to make that change for them. Mm -hmm. That's really amazing. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Cool. So... Another thing that we like wanted to talk to you about is you worked on this really awesome app called, uh, is it Polyhedra? Polyhedra? Polyhedra. Polyhedra. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, an incredibly awesome project too. I, I uh, was playing around with it earlier. So I'm assuming you used 3JS to render uh, out? I actually did not. Oh. I, used, um, I used something called X3DOM. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah, the app was something I've been working on on and off for like a couple of years. And it's actually what got me onto the React Translation project because um, in order to like, you see how I tied that in? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was, um, yeah, I gave a talk about it and Dan Ibramov really liked it. And like I told him that I was looking for contract work or freelance work. And so he was like, hey, we have this project for you. And um, yeah, that's how that started. But um, yeah, it's a project I've been working on for years. And I use this thing called X3DOM. So X3D is a file format for 3D models that mm -hmm. uses an XML syntax. And so I was using it and uh, I thought, well, you know, what else uses an XML? Uh, so X3D is the XML syntax. X3DOM is a library that lets you write um, X3D, put X3D inside your HTML. So it's basically like SVG, but for 3D models. I made the original version was using D3, um, which is like the charting library. And that was kind of like a very bare bones version that let you like look at all the different models, but not really do anything to them. And then the next thing I thought was like, hey, you know, it uses like an XML syntax. React and JSX. So I refactored and remade the app to use React. But initially, it didn't have all the cool animations and fancy stuff. It just like kind of had a um, 
it's just unlike the different models. And then you can like change the color and stuff with the config panel. Um, Cause I was like trying to learn Redux and of course you need to use Redux something. So I made the config panel or you can like edit the a form where you can edit the properties of the shape. And then, so after I left my job, I kind of needed like a project to bide my time while I was like working on personal stuff. So I went back to this project and I was like, what can I add to this? Oh, animation. So I added a bunch of different animation math code in order to like transition the different polyhedra into each other. They all have like different relationships to each other. Like you can like add this polyhedra into another one and like glue them together to create a different shape. Or you can like cut off different facets of them and like truncate them to create like more complex polyhedra. And this is all stuff that I did on my free time as like my full-time project for around six months. That's awesome. Uh, what are some like kind of key learnings that you had from that project? Yeah, math is hard. And I pretty <laughs> much like forgot everything I learned from uh, college. But I was able to scrape some of it back together. More on the kind of like React UI side, one of the biggest challenges was uh, managing like kind of global state. And so uh, like initially I was using Redux for it. And soon I realized that like Redux was kind of not the best and overly complicated for what I wanted to do. And between the time where I first uh, worked on the app and I came back to it. They released the new context API. So I refactored all my stuff to you from using Redux to using context in order to pass down kind of like locally global properties from like the main screen to uh, like to the child components. Like basically you're dealing with animation. So uh, you need to change the state from like the initial polyhedron to the intermediate state into the final polyhedron and managing that and having that data be accessible from like the entire like page so that you can see, oh, am I, if I'm transitioning right now, I can't do another operation because that will, I can press another button so those should be disabled. If I am based on whether I'm animating or not or whether a, like a tool is selected, you change the colors on the pieces of the polyhedron, and that logic is also really complicated. So I switched from Redux to context, and then I ended up making like a fake hook or a fake Redux using context because mm -hmm. um, hooks weren't released yet. And then they released hooks uh, during React Comp, and then I pretty much spent the entire time after my talk refactoring my app to use hooks. <laughs> And that ended up being a lot simpler. And I was able to like help debug hooks for the React team. But yeah, so it's kind of been a journey trying to figure out like what's the best way to structure uh, like global data within an application and like complicated global data that needs to change depending on like what state you're in. Yeah, this is interesting. I find that uh, Redux is kind of having the same fate as like jQuery had in the whole JavaScript stuff. It's not that it's dying because it's bad. It's dying because it was really good. And, and yeah. all the concepts are actually already being like, they are being absorbed by, by the rest of the, the tech stack, right? 
yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting how the new... But uh, I have a, a question for you uh, regarding that. It's a complex uh, application, right? And it yeah. has math involved. I worked mm -hmm. a little bit in the financial uh, service uh, market that had lots of like math stuff involved and testing, yeah. making, sure, making sure that the application works is a little bit more complicated than when we have like a normal application that is just testing if a user was added or if something, mm -hmm. like when you have uh, math calculations and stuff like that, uh, making sure that your application works is at least one level harder than our usual application. So how did you make sure you, your application works? Where is like right. testing and this, this kind of thing? So luckily, I was able to encapsulate the math code onto its own module and test it on its own. So basically, I was testing like, I am transitioning from this polyhedron to this other one and mm -hmm. check that, like applying the operation and doing all the manual uh, transition code, check to make sure that it ends up as I expected check to make sure that the new polyhedron, like the vertices and edges and faces match up to what I expect it to be, that all the um, edges are the same length, that it has like the right volume that mm -hmm. I expect it to. And so I have like that code to test like every operation I can do on every polyhedron and make sure that it results in the one that I expect. And then I have like the main integration tests where I run the UI as if I was the user and click on something and check to make sure that in the end it looks like the thing that and has the state that I want from it. So you, you separated the, the, the math and unit tested it? Yeah. And then like integration tests? For the UI. To make sure that For the, the application is, yeah, pretty simple, straightforward. That's great. Yeah. And this way I can isolate whether something is like, going wrong because of a math calculation error or if it's a UI problem somewhere. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah, so another thing that, that I found interesting about this project too is like the timeline of the rendering engines that, that you used and the animation mm -hmm. techniques. So yeah. you started with like, uh, if I'm not mistaken, a pure D3 rendering style yeah. and also making our own animation uh, functions. Can, can you tell a little bit more about that, please? Uh, the animation? Yeah, that was like, I would say done from scratch using request animation frames. So initially I was using, uh, I tried using like a library, like I think I was using React Motion mm -hmm. at the time. And I was trying to use it and I found that it was just too complicated for my use case okay. or um, it didn't really fit my use case because a lot of these libraries that use like render props to do animation are fundamentally declarative. They are saying like when I start up transition from uh, this state to this state or um, like make like transition my position from this position to where the mouse is or whatever. Mm -hmm. And in my case, it is fundamentally, you push a button and it does a thing. It is fundamentally imperative. And it got really annoying or it was a very clear mismatch between the two paradigms to mm -hmm. get it to work. So 
And the complicating thing is the way the animations actually work is, and the way that you're able to like smoothly transition from one polyhedron to another is, um, so when you start off, you start with like a tetrahedron and you want to turn it into, which is like a D4 if you play role-playing games, uh, yeah. like the four-sized pyramid. And you want to yeah. turn it into, say, like an octahedron, which has eight sides, mm-hmm. um, a P8. And obviously, like it, you can't smoothly transition from four faces to is you duplicate some of the sides. You duplicate some of the edges. Um, and like have extra faces and extra uh, sides to it. And so you switch out the original with like the duplicated version, which has some um, like overlapping, kind of like overlapping points on it. And so you use an overlap version and then like animate it. And then once you are done with the animation, you switch out that version for like a different one, which has like deduplicates some of the vertices and edges. So you can have like a pure um, polyhedron that you can use to animate to a new one. And if you don't do that, what ends up happening is like you get a bunch of errors because there are like a lot of, again, a lot of duplicate data that your animation code doesn't know how to deal with. So um, the thing about that duplication stuff is that it's really annoying to deal with an animation with different libraries because what they end up wanting to do is animating between like a set of data points into another like array or set of data points. And if you do this like switching out with duplication, that screws up the um, animation logic where like it doesn't know where to put the new points. So I needed some way to be able to switch between like animate this into this other thing, but also let me be able to like switch it out immediately without animating. Mm-hmm. And that's why I kind of created like my own um, animation function using mm-hmm. uh, create animation frame. And I just, Googled it and went to the first Stack Overflow answer uh, <laughs> that uh, I use that I found as you do. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really that's really interesting. It's, this is a, a really good like example of like in your domain needs driving yeah. the choice of like using a ready-made framework or library or mm-hmm. creating your own because I feel that probably like 95% of the libraries out there are made yeah. for applications that are like, you're either showing something or not, you're reacting to a user click most of the time. And in, in terms of like, it's only like hide or show, fetch something mm-hmm. like, yeah, your use case is a, is a very, to be honest, like, my first reaction, if I if I was going to start, if someone asked like me to to create an application with this specification, yeah. my first question would would be like, should React be be the be the framework? So what do you think about that? Why did you why did you go with React, and what are like the pros and cons of having using it on this particular project? Yeah, so React ended up being a good framework or like the surrounding code, right? There is a lot of UI involved, even though um, the main feature of the app is like, and the main unique feature of the app is like a lot of transitions and animations, but it was really useful for um, the UI because I like using React. And like for the the library I'm using, X3D is Mm -hmm. an XML declarative based format. So React is actually a relatively good match for that. Just like you can create SVGs using JSX and React, 
it's relatively easy to um, model and create components for the um, X3D data in React. You can literally, like, they give you primitives like um, index face set, and you can wrap that around a polyhedron component and pass in, like, just the data, the vertices, and the faces. And that is all relatively simple um, and declarative. Obviously, if I wanted to switch to something like uh, 3JS, that is, React might not be the best thing for that. Yeah, but for my use case, I think it's relatively, it's pretty good. Nice. Um, the animations, of course, were kind of a snag, but I think overall, it's, um, even if I switch to like X3D and, or sorry, if I switch to 3JS, Mm-hmm. And switch to like canvas rendering for the main like viewer app. I would still probably use React for like the surrounding code. That's great. That's yeah. great to hear. And honestly, I guess I would say that even though um, React might not be the best solution for like a very complex like animation thing, it was. Um, I don't think I would have ever like gotten here if it didn't make the previous changes like so much simpler. If I imagine like trying to do this while I was still using V3, it's like, no, I couldn't. Yeah. I'm interested. Have you played with like any of the suspense features, even if it's just like toying around with it? And if you have, do you think that the introduction of some of those features would actually make this easier in some ways? Um, I've only played it with it like a little bit. I tried using the um, the suspense for like the the uh, like lazy loading, and that's pretty cool. I haven't really dived deep into uh, like using the suspense for like a lot of very fine grained async components, and I'm not really sure how that will affect the different like animations because it's very it ends up being like relatively synchronous. Like you push a button. The mm-hmm. animation starts, and you can't really do anything while that's happening, and then it finishes, and you can do stuff again. And aside from the animation, a lot of the UI is like pretty simple. It's just different buttons you can click to do stuff. So, like all the data is like preloaded, all the polyhedra are preloaded, and yeah, like it's not like I'm like fetching JSON from a REST API. Like I have all the different polyhedra there already. Um, like, if anything, I do do a little bit of, uh, like, code splitting. And so the different pages, like the main homepage versus the viewer page, are lazy loaded. So they don't load all at once. And also because x 3 is, like, really, really expensive. Um, it's a very heavy library, and I don't want to load that in the initial page because I don't need it. But other than that, I can't really think of anything. Awesome. Yeah. Do you have Do you have any ideas? on how I can improve my project. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, not from the offset. I was just I was just curious. I've seen a lot of people that were like dug into early versions of suspense and kind of used them in surprising ways. So I was just kind of curious if uh, there was anything you're doing there. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And yeah, as I said before we started recording, this was this is like one of the Fun, uh, how to say that? I mean, the more, the funner, funnest applications I've been playing. Like I, I simply cannot stop playing with it. Like every five minutes, I open this tab here in the front and I oh. change my <laughs> poly area. Now I have a, 
Gyro elongated pentagonal copula rotunda in front of me, which is pretty amazing. Right. Right. <laughs> I like the way that that also the 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 URL like the, the routing is set up so you can share your weird poly address. Yeah. And things like that. So yeah, great, great. Oh, job. that was also kind of a pain to configure. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine. Yeah. But yeah, it's really cool. It's really cool. Yeah, and I like you mentioned that like it's one of the more funner things because that was actually like a lot of my inspiration um when i was a kid i used to be and still am a huge math nerd and i would go to like different websites to have like cool java applets it was at the time um different widgets and toys you can play with to have fun with like different math concepts and i saw a lot of these um sites for polyhedra and i just like look at wikipedia pages for different polyhedra and go to the different links like play with them Mm-hmm. and try to like see what the relationships are and like a lot of these sites are not very web 2.0 you may say um they either have like static images or like a very updated like uh 3d file format and so i kind of wanted to bring it up to the modern day like being inspired by some of these some websites where you can have a lot of fun fidgeting with the different widgets but also learn a little bit about math and so that's kind of where my inspiration came from. That's really cool. Yeah, it's it's super awesome. I'm I'm kind of excited to dig into it a little bit more to see how you did some of that stuff. I've only ever really messed with um, 3GS as far as like doing any sort of like 3D like rendering, especially coupled with yeah. React. So I'm kind of interested mm-hmm. to check out this library. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume, you spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take home projects, and that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them, and if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs, and this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com react. That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through TripleByte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. All right, cool. Let's uh, let's move over to props then. So, Lucas, you want to start us off? Do you have any props for this week? Picks, you mean? Picks, yep, picks. I really like calling. <laughs> I really like calling but them props. But if you also have props, <laughs> so this is a this is artsy. a yeah, this is an artsy <laughs> thing that uh, we do at work a lot. Like every uh, team stand up, we had we start off with props. So you know, yeah. if if you want to do props, that's too cool too. <laughs> but that's cool. Sorry. And it's, it's it's really cool that it's a React podcast. And then we talk ah, about <laughs> it's punny. So many layers. layers. <laughs> so so many layers. <laughs> Maybe we can make props a thing then. You know. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, my uh, the, the props of the day. So I, I'm always uh, looking at, even though I work with uh, JavaScript and React in my my day to day work, and now like 
maybe one third TypeScript and in the React uh, and React. I'm always looking like sideways to different languages that compile to JavaScript to to get inspired by. So the first language, I don't know how how many years ago that I started looking outside of JavaScript was Clojure and Clojure Script, which is really interesting because the mastermind behind Clojure is Rich Hickey. I always talk about him. He has like my uh, Desert Island Tech Talk, which is simple, made easy. So he's like one of the most like intelligent person with the, the best like insights. Every talk that, that he gives, it's like a, a packed, packed, packed uh, full of insights. Every year in my professional life, I think it's uh, I understand a little more about what he's saying, and I've studied a bunch of other uh, languages after after playing with ClojureScript, and now I'm 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 back at ClojureScript, having a look at it, wow. at it in my yeah in my spare time, and now there's a, a tool called Shadow CLJS. This is my prop. Which is making Closure Script uh, much more approachable by regular JS devs like us. So, Closure is super easy to start playing with. Closure Script was a little bit more complicated here and there. And this uh, Shadow CLJS, it's like a bundler, a build tool. Uh, that is like uses npm super easily it it's super uh, easy to use normal npm models with your closure script code so that's my prop of today mm-hmm. awesome that's cool so our next I really don't have a whole lot this week, but I do have one thing. So I found myself this week needing to deploy a really small tool. Uh, and I thought, you know, like a Lambda-like service would be good. And I was like looking in AWS Lambda and all this stuff. And it was just a lot and overly complicated. And this wasn't a really big project. It was like some small, really small internal developer tool. So I stumbled on Now from Zite, which I'd used in the past. Um, and they have this really easy Lambda service. So if you've never used it before, it's super, super simple. I had a blast. Basically, the, the project I was working on, which I'll share as well if anybody's interested, I was working on a tool to report on any duplicate JavaScript dependencies in a Webpack bundle. So it like creates a comment on a PR if that introduces a duplicate and it sends a sends a Slack message to a special team. But now made that super, super simple. So I was just I'm able to just like run a single command and like easily deploy this little app. It's it's amazing. I had I had a blast. So yeah, that's my my pick. Matt, do you want to go next? Oh yes. Um yes. Uh, I totally have something prepared. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let me think for a little bit. Does it have to be like code related? Nope. It can be be anything. Anything. Anything you want. I'm going to give props to Cron, I guess. Cron as in the Linux, the Unix utility. (laughs) Um, I, (laughs) yeah. uh, So like I said, um, there's a bot that runs like once every two days to make sure all the languages, all the language translations are of React are in sync. And originally I was like using a timer for it, but it ran into the problem where I was using Heroku to deploy it. 
and I was using Heroku to deploy it because it's like it would like randomly restart my app sometimes and of course when you restart the timer resets so or whenever I like would automatically deploy it so it'll be like um it'll like deploy in or the code will run the script will run in two days and then like 24 hours later it's like oh we're rebooting your dyno for some reason all right it'll run two days from now so I finally learned after five years as a professional software developer and like 10 years after I learned wrote my first computer program, what Cron is. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it turns out it's pretty cool. And then you can like schedule a bunch of different stuff with it. And apparently people use it for Twitter bots all the time. Well, one person I know uses it for Twitter bots, but yeah, this is my prop because I can't think of anything else. And this is the most recent kind of thing that's on my mind. That's awesome. Do you have any good resources for like if somebody's on Twitter with Nope. Um, I'm actually using, um, since this is like React and I guess like JavaScript based, I'm actually using something called Node Cron. Um, it's literally the Cron package in NPM and the documentation like has a pretty good, uh, primer on like what the Cron format is. And there's another thing called like Node Scheduler, which is, which also lets you, um, specify like your scheduling in like a JavaScript object options object. So um, that's also a good alternative. They're both relatively popular GitHub GitHub libraries, I think. They both have around like 5,000 stars. So you should be safe with either of them. And they both have like pretty good documentation on how to use them and how Cron works. Awesome, awesome. Thanks yeah. for that. So Nat, if somebody is wanting to reach out to you, what's the yeah. best way to do that? Um, I am Tesseralis, T-E-S-S-E, R-A-L-I-S in everything. GitHub, Twitter, Instagram, I guess. So yeah, LinkedIn, if anyone cares, because I am looking for a new job (laughs) now that the translation project is complete. That's nice. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks for talking about the React uh, Translate stuff. That is a great addition to the community. So we really appreciate all your hard work there. And You've been building some cool stuff, so thanks for coming on. Yeah, mm-hmm. thanks for having me. Nice. Cool. All right, folks, that's a wrap. Yay. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.